So who wants to sing the theme song? We have a theme song. Italia. Well, Italia. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> Wasn't Argentina like that? There's not even any words in the in the. Oh, it's so damn. It, it's like a Borges short story. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like eight minutes later, you know. Yeah, it's like okay, everybody's waiting. That's when they come back from the asado. Okay, <laughs> all right, let's go. Here we go. Okay, okay, Acme is on the air. Rick Crisman here, refereeing, refereeing his tongue around his teeth. <laughs> okay, let's try it. Take two. Okay, Acme is on the air. Rick Crisman here, refereeing today's Five Guy Pylon, featuring as usual Martello Vasquez, Bob Clark, Jim Frank, and Mike Magnus. Hope. Okay, so I want to start with a brief anecdote. There's this guy I know who I'm still friends with. Okay, he's a writer, and he was writing an essay about college stories from the early 1970s and asked me to tell him a little bit about what it was like back then. So I wrote up a few anecdotes and sent them to him, for which he was grateful. Okay, so I totally forgot about it till down the road, the essay comes out in a lit mag, and I read it. And I get to this paragraph where he's saying, I talked to Rick Chrisman about thus and so, and he told me that, and then proceeds to relate one of the anecdotes, which I won't bore you with. However, instead of him summarizing the story and telling it himself, he clearly had just cut and pasted my own words into his essay without actually quoting me. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but that's indirect discourse instead of direct quotation, right? Exactly. Okay. So I was I was kind of pissed, right? You should be. Well, right. Yeah. But then I started to wonder why would such a trivial thing bother me so much? I mean, this was I think it was just a rookie error on his part. Uh, You're there not was, getting paid. Well, there was no money at stake, and in fact, I thought it was kind of cool to be mentioned in his essay. But mm. thinking about this has led me to believe that plagiarism. And that's, in fact, what this was. The plagiarism isn't just the theft of some tangible thing, like stealing a six-pack from a convenience store. There's more to it than that. And that's, I think that's what we want to kick around today. Well, I hear you, brother. When you talk about, you know, it is almost like having somebody steal your soul. A couple of weeks ago, a friend called me and said, I'd be interested in a website he'd come across. And I checked it out and found it interesting as hell. Uh, posted on this site was a heartfelt essay posted, uh, put up by uh, another veteran by the name of James Alonzo. Let me read a few of his sentences. Okay. The title of the piece is, uh, I was there last night. Okay, here's the first, here's the first few sentences. A couple of years ago, someone asked me if I still thought about Vietnam. I almost laughed in their face. How do you stop thinking about the defining moment of your life? Every day I wake up with it and go to bed with it. But this is what I said. Yeah, I think about the war. I can't quit thinking about it. And I guess I never will. But I've also learned to live with Vietnam. I'm comfortable with the memories. I've learned to stop trying to forget and learned instead to embrace them. Vietnam just doesn't scare me anymore. Now, when I said it was a heartfelt essay by this guy, you know, you hear those words, that's just the opening of it. It's a nice piece. It, 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 it's speaking to uh, of something and to something. But the one problem is, is James Alonzo didn't write that. Robert David Clark wrote it, myself. 
And Jesus. when you talk about being violated, that's, you know, I hate to sound like maybe I'm overdramatic, but it is, it's a fucking violation. And something, something as personal as that essay was, you know, right. I mean, this is my, this is my goddamn experience. I'm addressing right. issues in my fucking life. And that dirty son of a bitch just steals the entire thing. At one point, he even put his own name within the essay. And to top it all off, he had the, he had the balls to, on this website, use a copyright emblem above left on his name. And I thought, man, that takes wow. the cake right there. Oh, I mean, how do, you, how do you do something like that? Something that's that fucking personal? I don't know. Where was this published? It was published first in 1994. In Wisconsin, a, a High Ground magazine published it. It has a it has a companion piece. They split it up and they put it in two different issues. Um, but this th that essay there has been circulating around on the internet. I never put it up there. Um, but it's been going around for years. I, I get letters from strangers and uh, got a letter the other uh, last year. I guess it was uh, a Vietnam vet from Australia. <laughs> found it on the internet and sent me a nice little card. I checked out the site where people had made comments on it. Other vets is going, oh, wow, man, nice piece. And he's thanking them for it. But enough about that. I guess oh, I was, so I guess good. if we're going to talk about influences, I guess I was one hell of an influence on him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. God damn, I think I'll just steal this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about what, um, Bob's um, story there. So, um, personal anecdote: we, we were living in Yonkers back in was it 60, 68 or sixty nine, and the the landlady, her name was Giuseppina, and her son had gone off to war. And we were kids; we don't know what went on Vietnam, Korea. We didn't know. So anyway, one day, it is the same lady that we used to play wiffle ball like in the alley. She would throw hot water at us and shit like that. Oh, so. Jesus. That's the ultimate get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so one day we, we go out and I mean, my brother and I back, you know, in the summer in those days, we do it, you know, garbage collectors uh, come pick up the garbage and the best part is when they leave the garbage cans there, they were all full of maggots. And we used to put M80s in them and put the lid back on oh. and, and, and have behind a wall and watch it explode and go all, all the way up to the power lines <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome but one day we're walking out with my dad and you know the landlady Giuseppina threw all this stuff out and my dad looks in looks in the stuff that she was throwing that she had thrown out and there was a bunch there was a bunch of military uniforms in there and so so my dad you know recent Argentinian you know 27 years old when he first came here grabs the jacket and it's a Ranger Airborne I don't think the name on it was Alfonso, though. <laughs> <laughs> he wore for he wore for years. And, and my dad, my dad would come around. Yeah, when I was in Vietnam, you know. And every once in a while, he would run into like a, a you know like a real ranger. He well, started asking him questions, and my dad would start like, "Ah, oh, my, my English looked too good now." <laughs> then, then, you, then years go by. We're in Florida by then, and all this shit, you know. And we went to uh, Washington and we went to Vietnam War Memorial. And we have a picture of my dad found his name on the War Memorial and was pointing at it. Oh, wow. 
So I don't know. <laughs> speaking about plagiarism. Wow. <laughs> I took an R&R to Manila. Me and my buddy went to the uh, World War II uh, the war memorial there for all yeah. the Americans that died. And uh, yeah, I have such a common name. Robert Clark is a real common name. Yeah, I found my name on her too. Yeah, it gives you a little pause, especially when I was on R&R from Vietnam, knew I was going back. You see your name engraved on marble there. You go, Ooh. yikes. <laughs> Oh, That's how shit. it would look, huh? <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah, like we were kind of also talking about this idea of influence. Um, I guess, like, what's your story? Where, where'd you guys come from, your family? How, how, um, my question is, it's like it's like 16 below over there. Iowa, right? Or, or you're in Minnesota? No, yeah, I'm in southern Minnesota. Yeah, It's the same like, as Iowa. Why, why didn't your family yeah. keep going? <laughs> um, I, I, don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any family up here. No, I mean, like, you know, I mean, 140 years ago, before the Dahmer. How did they end up in Iowa? My mother's, my uh, grandfather on my mom's side uh, came from uh, uh, Tyrone, Missouri. I believe it was in the Ozarks. Came up here, he was a a grocer and uh, moved up to Iowa. I believe they moved to uh, Ottumwa, Iowa. (laughs) Set up shop there, yeah. And my dad was from uh, Colfax, Iowa, so yeah, they're all bred. And I grew up in Iowa, in a little bitty town of 350 people right outside Des Moines. I mean, I get people right now from a shout out to the people who are listening to the podcast from Argentina, Rosario. Yeah. A lot of my friends there and our listeners, and they're bilingual. And they they asked me the other day, like, when you guys, uh, you guys are from all over the place, and they're talking about Bob and Mike. So they were like, What's it? How how would you tell that, that experience, or how would you detail or explain it to somebody from Latin America where you're from, your family history? Um, both both sides of my family are from uh, the UK. Father's side from Wales, mother's side the Millers are from uh, someplace in England. Who knows? But um, you know, I grew up in a little bitty farm town. We were close to Des Moines, but I mean, we were just a small town, 350 people. And I would imagine my, uh, I don't know what it's like down in art part of Argentina you're from, but uh, I don't think they'd be too shocked or surprised at the way how I came up in that little farm town. I mean, we were just rural. I got a question for you, Bob. Were you drafted? Sure. You were drafted to go to yes. Vietnam? Uh-huh. What was your, what was your attitude about that at the time? Like, like in relationship to living in this small town? Um, I was excited about it. For you, yeah, yeah. I, uh, wow. I, you know, this sounds stupid, but when you're 19, you're going to live forever. That's why they send 19 year olds into battle right. because they right. take orders well, and uh, they they don't figure everybody else is going to get killed except them. Um, yeah, I volunteered for uh, for infantry too. That's infantry. I wanted. I'll be honest with you. I was. I was. I came from little old Bondurant, Iowa. And uh, I was 19. I wasn't going to college. I knew I was going to get drafted. And uh, I was looking for adventure, like the song says. Really was. And you don't put two and two together until you get over there and realize that, fuck, this is four, man. (laughs) So so you had a coming about moment? The whole time I was there, I have to be honest, the whole time I was there, I was, I won't say gung-ho, but I believed in the mission mm-hmm. and after i came home and uh moved up here and went to school at msu it it started to occur to me that uh, the whole thing was just one great big lie 
and we weren't doing anything over there except wasting a lot of lives. Yeah. Did you know anything of the history before you went over there? Like it was a French no, colony? No. I, I didn't. No, no. It's just where, you know, that part of Iowa, our, our fathers marched off to World War II, you know, and uh, others went off to Korea from there and, you know, in Bondurant, Iowa in 1968. You didn't cut and run. If uh, Uncle Sam said he needed you, well, then I guess Uncle Sam needs you. You know, you did what your country asked you to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it was a different time, I think, and a no, different part of the country. Well, Marcello, no, what about maybe, you, though? Huh? A sentimental thing, because we we're talking about Vietnam, and I was born in Argentina. I came here when I was six months old. Uh, we arrived here in Independence Day of Argentina, July 9th, 1965. I started speaking English when I was four or five, because we just spoke either Italian dialect and my dad is Argentinian, and we also spoke Spanish. You know, John Wayne was a big deal when we were kids, watching the black and white. Yeah. You know, we had the TV where you know we lost the the, the knob, and we used the vice grip to turn you know the channels. And <laughs> 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 every every five minutes, I had to translate to my dad what was going on when I when he figured out I learned English. <laughs> but then then but then that was that part. But then there was the war in our family because. My entire time, my Italian side, the reason they end up in Argentina was my grandfather was in, in, in the Italian army right. and, and he had fought in Libya. West what they were to, told us. We think it was actually okay. Ethiopia. And we also right. lost a, an uncle who inspired me. Who ins, he's my inspiration of my first novel, soon to be completed. And his name is uh, Guido. Guido, Guido Liberatore, which means Guido the Liberator. All right. So, so my family from Italy, they were all a bunch of coal miners. And yeah, when they started in 1914, my grandfather came here with a, uh, his cousin who was named Jerry Mussolini. Not Mussolini, Mussolini. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and they came into New York, but they were supposed to go straight to, to Canada. And they jumped the train because they had some paisanos in Boston. <laughs> and even to this day, we they kept they kept on going, you know, Woodbury, Woodbury, Woodbury. <laughs> We're like, what the fuck is Woodbury? <laughs> they would tell us in a tie, you know, you guys jumped off. So apparently he worked in the ammunition, he he worked in the ammunition factory when he was in Boston. Then um he went back to Italy, uh, got married, and my grandmother had a miscarriage, so he had to stay, and then his cousin came, went back, came back to the U.S. And then he went, my, my grandfather went into the war. And then my uncle, Guido, he was a chef. He was the first one to break the tradition of being a coal miner. Okay. There's a there's a town right next to our town. Our town is uh, Pieta Ferrazzana, uh, the Rock of Ferenzano. It's like a medieval village. 200, hmm. 200 you know, during the season, and most of the year, 150. Back then, it was like a couple thousand. There's a uh, cooking school, a renowned cooking school, La Scuola del Birge. A school of hotel and restaurant, and he was he started all that. So um, he ends up the Russian front. My uncle, Liberatore. and at the time, my mom, my grandmother, was pregnant, and my with my mom, and he was the godfather. Afterwards, when she was born, and he named her Leah because he had a beautiful girlfriend in Verona, who her name was uh, Leah. And then, um, nice. And then, <laughs> then, then, then this novel up, just kind of writes itself, doesn't it? 
so, so all this is my influence. I mean, the, the, and the and where I'm getting all this from, as a kid, is from my grandmother, Olympia Tilda Scopino, and she was the storyteller. She was the one, you know. She was also the um, the um, midwife. When, uh, the midwife, the midwife, and she pretty much pretty much ran the town when the when the when the men were off to war. So she would tell us all these stories. So my uncle Guido goes off to Operation Barbarossa. Of course, over the years, I'm getting educated and I'm looking this stuff up at the library at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. Because right. the fuck do I know about my family? Like you didn't know it was a French colony, Vietnam. Mm. So yeah. I find yeah. I find it I find a division, Special Forces Julie Division. I find the name of the general and all that, and I send a letter back then a letter to the Italian embassy because he was missing in action. Mm-hmm. And I and I still have the letter. I mean, he was mm-hmm. valiant, and Alpine Division fought well, and you know he was lost in battle and blah blah blah, blah and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So the influence of my uncle Guido is that he was a chef. And for years, I knew that he had this book. And it was in my uncle Frank's house, also was a chef. And two months ago, they find the book. And I asked for it. Uh, Recently, my uncle passed away and may rest in peace at 90 years old. And I have it in front of me. Le arte nella cucina d'Italia, della mensa. Casi Italiana, Libro S.A. Milano. Le arte nella cucina, la eleganza della mensa. And it has his notes, his handwriting, Uncle Guido, on the recipes. Also, Buco. Nice. I'm looking for the phone number of that girl, Leah, but. (laughs) (laughs) Did she have a phone number? (laughs) Back then, I think they did. (laughs) Calling, calling, calling Verona. Where's the lead? Yeah. Uh, so your novel that you're working on is a historical, historical novel, based yes. on all this. Based on all this. Yeah. Based on so, a lot of the. Uh, so, so if somebody plagiarizes your work, they're ripping off your grandma. <laughs> you know. Oh man, you do not want to rip off my grandma. She's buried in New York, five feet of snow. But man, I'm she, still scared. Of, I'm still she'd scared of she'd pop right out again, right? I know. Yeah. I had a grandma like that. She had a yeah. oh, great yeah. wolf eyes. Uh, I never forget it. She smacked me so hard in the mouth once because when no. I was a kid, I went up to her and I said, Mussolini is a pezzo di merda. Mussolini was a piece of shit. <laughs> Maron. She fucking smacked me in the face. I was like, I never said that again. <laughs> she, if she came into my like into my office right now and saw all the Marxist books I have, like Antonio Gramsci and all this stuff. Yeah, well, at night when you hear fingers scratching on the screen outside, <laughs> don't Mama. open it. <laughs> it's Mount Olympia. You know, uh, I, I had an experience in the. Uh, this goes back to the music business. This, this, this story has a couple layers to it. So I was newly in L.A., and I was a freelance composer, you know, working for TV and film and stuff. And so one day this guy who was sort of my mentor calls me up and he says, they're going to send a cassette tape over to you with, with a recording of, of uh, like an Alan Lomax recording of men working in a chain gang singing this right. song, okay? 
And he says, well, we just need you to listen to it and figure out what the melody is and write out an arrangement for four voices. Okay. And then somebody will pick it up. $75. $75. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll take me an hour or so. <laughs> So a messenger arrives and I get this, I listen to the cassette and it's like, you can hardly hear. It's like, so I, 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 you know, I write out a chart for it and, uh, you know, next day somebody picks it up and I, I totally forget about it till like a year and a half later, I'm at the movies seeing, uh, the opening of the color purple. You may remember that oh, movie yeah. adapted from yeah, the Alice yeah, Walker yeah. book. Wow. And I'm yeah. watching the movie, and, and, and all of a sudden, here's this scene of these guys working in a chain gang with their picks and everything <laughs> on the side of the road, oh, no. and they're singing my fucking song. <laughs> 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 now, you know, in, in copyright law, if you take a piece of public domain music and write a new arrangement of it, you own that copyright, Okay. So I should have been credited for that. And at my stage in the career, you know, you look at mu music credits and they go, you know, additional music by so-and-so. If I had right. said by Rick Crisman on The Color Purple, that would have been a huge. But, you know, I'm not even going to mention by name who the ostensible composer was. But if you look on mm -hmm. iTunes, every single cue is attributed to him, where, I, in fact, I know uh. he farmed it off to his minion, and his minion farmed it off to 14 guys. I don't want to get... But, uh, <laughs> four, <laughs> but in fact, it was 14 white guys. Yeah, at, least, at least they weren't 14 Mexicans. <laughs> so, so, right. So I'm feeling like, uh, but then, so, so then let me ask you guys, what's the next layer to this story? What's, what am I up to? What am I doing? Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm ripping off a culture. Right? Right. I'm doing exactly right. the same thing. I'm appropriating this stuff right, right, that I right. didn't earn, right? These songs, right. which became the basis of the blues and of gospel and everything, rise. I, you know, we could, we could do a whole show about culture and music and so forth. But So here I am appropriating it without, without even thinking about it. Anyhow, so that's, that's on me. No, but, no my, my, my angle is, is, is interesting because I had to assimilate to this culture. And so when I started writing and got an upper level writing, I was taught this. I was taught this term, rhetorical term, decorum. Yeah. And it was a rhetorical strategy where your subject or style style has to match your subject. Your audience has to be considered. Then I later find out and study that it's actually was a technique used by the British and used more by more colonial powers to assimilate other peoples into their culture, into the British or colonial culture. So then. I'm, you know, I turn around and I'm finding the, the other, I'm like alienated in, 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 in Mexico. If you come, if not, not only just a Chicano, but if you're like, you're born to Mexican parents, uh -huh. not dreamers, but if you go back to Mexico, they have a derogatory term called pocho. Mm -hmm. And a pocho means like, you're neither there or here. <laughs> so then, so then, so I'm a little kid grown up, you know, my, my heroes were you know, George Washington and, you know, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> And I, you know, and I, and I had no education in my Spanish language. I was learning everything in English. So here, then all, all of a sudden I decided to become a writer. I knew when I was 16, 17, that I wanted to do something like that. And I've been repeating this assimilated culture until finally one day I said, I need my own fucking personality. That's right. I need, I needed to revisit and rethink. And yet now I'm too far in to, to start writing in Spanish or Italian, 
So I don't know. I mean, I think assimilation appropriation. There's there's a kind of a contradiction there. I think. I think of the way I grew up and the influence of my of my life growing up was was just the most of my I I shouldn't say most I should say all my all my characters always really never ever rise above uh, working class because that's my experience. Right. You know? Right. Um, and and I can't I couldn't write about uh, wealthy. People, I couldn't. I couldn't do what Tom, you know, Wolf does. Uh, I can only write about what I know, and those are my influences growing up. Were people that, uh, you know, had dirt under their fingernails and uh, scuffed up boots. Yeah. And, uh, call them the salt of the earth, for for lack of a better term. But uh, right. But I wonder. I wonder how much I was appropriating American culture myself. Mm-hmm. That when I go back now, you know, and I'm speaking English to a few. You know, cousins that I still have there who were here and I live there. I got little kids looking at me like, God, you sound like the movies, like the American movies. <laughs> wow. Yeah. wow. Well, yeah, the, the, you know, there's the, there's no way in hell anybody from from outside this country could come and live in the United States and not be affected or, or influenced heavily. There's no way in hell you can live in this mammoth this this in many ways just garish culture of yes, ours that's right and right. not not be have it rubbing off on you i mean it just because america is just it's just everywhere you know <laughs> you can't escape the shit it's just there <laughs> i know it's in your face wherever you turn yeah it's like well i mean it, and you know what i'm talking about it's it's yeah. like it's 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 a big version of las vegas if you've ever been to oh, Vegas, yes. it'd be like about three days, let me out of this goddamn place. Right. It's just in your face all the time. And in many ways, for people that, that aren't, say, born here, America has to feel that way many times. It's like everywhere I turn, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like, uh, I imagine, the way some people feel about death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True enough. I don't like it if that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all like right there in your face, you know. Well, it's yeah. not. I think death is. I think death is something that we choose not to think about. But Bob's point is, America, you can't turn away from it. I mean, no. I'm trying to pull off a of Facebook this week, and I've got people like you know clinging to my pant legs and saying, "Don't go." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have. There's a joke I haven't told you yet. I always I, admired those um, those war movies where the GIs like World War Two movies. Yeah. Here in Europe, and then you know, and they run into a bunch, uh, some other GIs, and they're like, they give them the test because they think they're Germans, but they're right. like, right. Big oh, yeah, right, in right. Michigan, yeah, right, and, exactly. And, and, yeah. And, and what are the questions? Like, Who won the World Series? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. yeah, Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? I want to, I want to, we're about the halfway point here, so all right, we're going to do something new and we're going to actually take a break. Sounds How about good. that? So we can rest our pipes right. a little bit and refill the wine glasses. So uh, to our listeners, I'll just say stay tuned for this important announcement, and we'll be right back. Thanks. We'd like to take a moment to tell you about an exciting new feature coming from Acme Writing Academy when Season 2 begins later this spring. It's the Acme Mailbag, where each week we will reach in for a listener question attempt to answer it in the manner to which we're accustomed. If you'd like your question to be aired, send it, times Roman, 12 point, double spaced, 
to Acme Writing Academy at gmail.com. That's Acme Writing Academy, sounding the way it's spelled, at gmail.com. If we choose your question, we'll Skype you in so you can ask it on the air, by which you will become an honorary member of the Academy. So act now. Operators are standing by. Let's bring it back in. We're back now, and are you there, Marcello? Yeah, he's there. Okay, yes, he's I am. Back. Yes, right. I am. It's funny. I hear you talking about all your influences and the Italian and the wars and so on and so forth. But you know, the only thing I know that I don't really know your writing. The only thing I know about is that you've written something about a sea turtle held hostage in a Quonset hut. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, is, that, is that how your tra- not your influences it. translate? <laughs> you know, yeah, that happened. Yeah, you know, it, uh, and it was a wanako that I, I had hawk tied and it was put in a uh, stuka <laughs> in, the middle, in the middle of the Patagonian desert. If you hog tie a sea turtle, you know they look. They got that guilty grin on. I remember that. Oh, that's that's the <laughs> that greatest was the image I'll never forget. That's the greatest <laughs> grin ever. A hog tied <laughs> loggerhead sea turtle. So <laughs> look at the sea turtle's face. It's like mm, I did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> she good. Been around a lot longer than you have. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that was a piece of genius. One of the best things I ever read, Marcello. That was. Yeah, they ended up as as um as soup, right? For the yeah. <laughs> For the <laughs> I thought you were gonna say your short story you ended up as soup. I think so. I think I, got appropriated. I, I, are you plagiarizing your own life there, Marcello? Was, is it possible? Is that what memoir is? Steal from the best. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so Rick, you got some interesting. Uh, experiences in your life and connections uh to your family that influence your writing don't you well i also i also have an immigrant story my grandfather came over to escape world war one by himself when he was 17 years old not speaking a lick of english and where was that from from croatia from croatia huh? yeah he was the nazarene no he was his name <laughs> joseph joseph chrisman chrisman Chris, meaning the man of the cross yeah, there you go. Right, and and my and he married a woman named Mary. So, I am the oldest grandson of Joseph and Mary, Man of the Cross. Wow. <laughs> well, you better get your shit together because you're not really living up. To well, I did write. I did write a little short story about a kid who's who was uh, serving mass, you know, an altar boy serving the early morning in the dark mass where just the two little old ladies go. And he's, and he's thinking about, you know, G, there's going to be a second coming of Jesus. And it's like, the whole thing is like, well, how would you know? And he's thinking like, wow, even I could be Jesus. How would I find out? And then he's looking, he's looking at the cross and the blood and everything. And he's thinking, well, if I am, I sure hope things turn out better this time around. <laughs> but isn't, it, isn't that every imagine. immigrant story, though? Uh, I hope no. it turned out better this time. You know, when you when you think back to those sorts of things, Rick, uh, your ancestors and things like that, do they still show up in lots of your other stories? Well, or... I, I've got two kinds of stories I write. One is actually a link collection spanning the whole 20th century of wow. 
different points of view from people who would be analogous to family members of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I'm going to Croatia for a couple of weeks this June. Uh, visit the town my grandfather grew up in and up in the mountains and so forth. First time? I was there in the early 70s. Wow. As a student. That's interesting. Just for a few when days. When it was Yugoslavia. Yes, it was Yugoslavia then. Um, quite yeah, happily yeah. under Tito. It was it was great. Uh, but but now I'm, I'm writing the, trying to write the story of, of the the when he comes over in 1915. And so it's requiring a, a lot of research because, you know, we all know about World War II, but nobody knows shit about World War I or what came before. So it's like, right. it's tireless. I mean, I sit here, I, I'm researching on, I'm Googling for 45 minutes to find out, you know, what it's, what was the currency that grandpa put in the envelope to give to Joseph to buy the boat ticket, you know, and, you know, verisimilitude, verisimilitude, make it, make it real. I still don't know. Does anybody know what Croatian currency was in 1915? Marcello, <laughs> that sounds like something you'd know. No, it's got to be Yugoslav. That was before Yugoslavia. Yeah. They were part of the Austro-Hungarian oh, Empire. Austro-Hungarian Empire. That's, right. That's right. You know, and the Serbs were part of the Ottoman. So there's your problem right That's there. That's right. There we go. Somehow the Archduke Franz Ferdinand is mixed, mixed into all this. Yeah, he was. So, mi- he went missing. <laughs> <laughs> or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been the same currency that the Austrians used? Which is, uh, isn't that shillings? Well, there we go. There Thank you, Mr. Frank. All I know about Croatia really is that uh, they invented Zinfandel. Which we don't hold against them? No. it's a, you, you can buy it in a store. It's really good. Isn't isn't that all the stuff all the stuff at your place that we didn't drink that weekend? Oh yeah. So like there's the, there's the whatever they call it in Croatia, and then there's uh, primitivo. Yeah. In primitivo. Italy, and then it's the same grape, and then that's what came to. Uh, oh really? Becomes Infidel. Maybe so. Maybe the Croatians. Oh God, my grandfather made the worst wine. <laughs> I remember this this stuff. We he was just like nobody. Everybody in the family made fun of his wine, and we tried to endure it. You know, and thinking that he's just doing it wrong. So when I finally visited Croatia, we go to the little house where he grew up and his sister still lives there. Right. And she she draws out some wine out of an oak barrel. Exactly the same shit. He was doing it. He was doing it perfectly right. Right. Except they mixed it 50 50 with mineral water. That was the key to getting the shit down. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was, he was, uh, he was, uh, when he was like in his later years, you know, 70, 80 years old, he'd be over at our house. I lived in Kansas. They lived in Kansas city then and be there at Christmas and he'd be sitting in his chair and, and he always liked to have a glass of wine next to him. He hardly spoke any English. He was, you know, just a Croatian a little bit here and there. And I'd been to Napa Valley and found this winery, uh, Gergich Hills. Oh, and maybe yes. you've had Gergich, so good. it's very, Excellent. very high in wine. And it's mm-hmm. run by this guy, Mikhail Gergich, who was about my grandfather's age and who was from Croatia, as it turns out, not too far from where he was from. So I bought my grandpa a nice bottle of white wine and took it home. And at Christmas, I poured him, you know, he's sitting in the chair, the whole family's there, and I pour him a glass and I said, Grandpa, this is from this Croatian winery. This guy, Mikhail Gergich, makes this wine, and I think you'd really like it. So as the evening goes, he's just kind of halfway sipping at it and not really digging it too much. And and finally, <laughs> I go, so Grandpa, how do you like your wine? And he, and he beckons me over and he gets close and he goes, Ricky, tell your friend Gergich needs more sugar. 
Anyhow, I don't. I didn't mean to get us off track here with a, my little grandpa anecdote, but you know, I think. I think honestly, honestly, I think maybe some of my sense of humor comes from this wacky bunch of yeah. Croatians that yeah. I was around as I was growing up. My grandma was. She was a real character. You know, that's the second time we heard that tonight about crazy characters who are grandmothers. My grandmother wasn't crazy. She was just a fascist. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I still got a fucking defender. <laughs> you do, you do. I mean, God, you know that, that's American sensibility. That's what it gets you. <laughs> you know, we confuse personality, you know, with your mental state. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, I, I was thinking also about uh, college. And, you know, there's a certain point, you know, we all have our coming of age moment. And mine was in the early 70s, right? I went to William & Mary, which I thought I was really stepping up to a cool place, moving from Kansas to William & Mary. And it felt, you know, really wild. And, you know, I was on the radio and right. anti-war protests and, and the whole business. And, there, you know, the hippie days. And we had a bunch of us, we've, we formed what we called the Famous Consciousness Investigators School. Remember famous artists school? You know, we learned to draw at home in your spare time. It was famous conscious yeah. investigator school. And we sold koans. You know, the koan is the Zen utterance used to mm -hmm. achieve enlightenment. So, right. You know, what's we, the sound of one hand slapping kind right. of thing? Or clapping. Yeah. Sorry. Right. <laughs> one, one hand <laughs> <A> slap. <laughs> you gave it away. That means something entirely different. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> yes, it does. One hand. There's no slapping. There's no slapping in Buddhism. There. So, so we took out an ad in what was then the Saturday Review. It cost $28. And we said, uh, uh, Koans. Specify color. Send two dollars to Famous Consciousness Investigator School. Blah blah blah. Oh my God. We got one order. Mrs. Robinson <laughs> W. Schoonover from Hinsdale, Illinois, sent us two dollars cash <laughs> and requested a blue koan. <laughs> so <laughs> we took a piece of blue construction paper and, in very ornate lettering, we wrote, "What is the difference between a duck?" <laughs> and without any further explanation, we just mailed that to her. <laughs> He's been thinking about it ever since. This came back to me, and I, I, it ended up being a start for a story. So I, I began the story with, with uh, like, the guy who ordered the koan, and he got it. It's like, whoa, what the fuck is this? He had a matchbook with a guy with a swami hat and swirling eyeballs and stuff and famous yeah. questions and investment. And so he gets, he gets the thing, <laughs> and he sticks it on his fridge. And it's like, whoa, what the fuck is that? And so that's the first paragraph. And then... Can I read you a little of this? Are you, are, we have time. Are you guys bored? Not yet. I, I, I just Not think, yet. I just think you found. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Rick, I think I think you just found the uh, the Croatian currency you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you mean by that. <laughs> Neither do we. See, that's part of the. <laughs> I did find that information for you, by the way. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so anyhow, back to the story. <laughs> You're gonna read a little bit of this? I am. Because so 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 he puts the thing on his on his wall, and so here's the next paragraph is The next morning there was a duck in the kitchen. I almost tripped over it as I was putting on the coffee and it gave me a dirty look. 
I waited for it to speak, but nothing, not a quack or anything. And I figured, okay, not the most personable duck. It sat across from me at my little kitchen table as I ate my special K. And for some reason, I thought, whatever you do, don't feed the duck. So I kept my eyes fixed on my cereal bowl, trying to ignore the duck's proprietary stare. (laughs) When I left for work, it followed me out and down the driveway, hustling on its short little legs, then waited on the passenger's side, flapping one foot, web foot up and down, until I opened the door and it hopped in with an irritated flutter. That's your duck? Bo asked me as I passed his cubicle. Yeah, I guess so, I said, too late realizing the commitment I was making. I could swear the duck was smiling a little, but it stopped when I frowned at it. Does he have a name? Martha wanted to know one night, the three of us around the dinner table. I suppose it was up to me to give him one. I don't know. Steve, I said, <laughs> looking a little sheepish at the duck, but he seemed to brighten and set up a bit straighter. And then it goes on from there. Anyhow. That's like Tolstoy. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like like it's, that's it's like Toy the- Story. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> what you see a tall story? It's a, a tall dog. story, right? When I was in college, you know, you know, Jim and I were roommates in college, you know, and we talk about still traumatized. Yeah, something like like back when we were roommates, we we read all the time. Like we would have reading competitions, pretty much. We we'd get together in the uh, library every night from. Uh, six o'clock in the evening till 11 and read books, read like, you know, great European novels and all that kind of stuff at the same time, you know, and then go to the bar afterwards. And I wonder sometimes, Jim, is it because we didn't have interesting lives that we were like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Is that a rhetorical? Clark's talking. He's got a small town life. I'm from the suburbs, you know, nothing really happened, I guess, you know, I mean, I I don't know. But, but when we, we were reading books together, you know, it's, it seemed to me that, that, like that 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 was a life that somebody was living that had had value and was interesting and had metaphor to it you know like and it was it was it was european literature you know i mean eventually faulkner came along sure but you know for what we were reading we were reading french novels irish yeah. uh british uh, german german yeah definitely you know and like all that seemed to like it was written to create a world and then we had turned took that world that we were reading in European novels and tried to apply it to our lives in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. What do you think? Well, a lot of the time we took it to the joint. (laughs) We continued uh, extemporaneously riffing on what we had been reading that evening. The interesting thing is I always thought was that uh, after a few hours of reading, uh, conversation seemed a lot more interesting at the bar. Yeah. And have a beer or two. Yeah, no kidding. And you know what's funny when we talk about taking things from other cultures and uh, appropriation and all that kind of stuff as I think now. And I, and I believe this to a certain extent, like that life we were living in Wisconsin, you know, I look back on that and I want to explain what that was like, this kind of, you know, small town college in Northern Wisconsin where everybody was Scandinavian and, and sort of kind of thought the same ways within reason about the stuff, you know, like as an adult, as a grown up, I want to, I want to tell people about that. You know, but when yeah. I was living that, I wanted to know what everybody else was doing. Sure. Yeah. And you know? You're always never quite where you want to be. Right. Like, you know, you remember, remember finding Mishima? I, I don't I know. Do. I, I, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, oh, oh, the pavilion. This is like fucking Mishima. Mishima. <laughs> you know, like, like, 
Spring that's snow. Even, like that's that's everything that my life's never gonna be. That everything's like so heavy and stuff, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think I'm supposed to feel guilty about that now, or, or I'm supposed to let that go and think about what I'm supposed to write. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, um, you know, I don't know. For me, it it sort of sent me to a different type of MFA program, one in translation at Arkansas. You know, it, you learn how to write in your own language what another author wrote. You know, translation's a very respectable business, isn't it? But there's a weird thing that happened to me. I had published the, a translation of this story in the early 90s by an author named Charles Ferdinand Ramu, who's a Swiss author. And it's a story about an old guy who uh, has to go to Lausanne and live with his daughter and have eye surgery, and he's blind. And he keeps telling her the same old stories from his past, which, you know, seems to be a theme in tonight's uh, episode. Is It seems to me, listening to you all, and I know from my own experience that some of those people that are really important to us in our lives were those people who were storytellers, our, our grandparents, right. uh, whether it's a grandmother or a grandfather. For me, my three uncles who all served in World War II just told the best damn stories. My dad is that same sort of person, too. He just tells stories all the time. And the same ones. I mean... Can you give us one? Uh, well, yeah, there was one he was just telling me over Christmas, you know, about the railroad tracks out behind his house and Holidaysburg, Pennsylvania. They used to go play on the railroad tracks down there all the time. There's a big uh, uh, yard there. And, and one of their friends got killed. Little boys who are seven or eight years old. My dad tells this story about, you know, two days later, they're walking around on the tracks looking for parts of their friend, you know, that's, you know, had been killed a couple <laughs> days earlier. I mean, their, their parents always told them, you know, don't play down on the tracks, you'll get hit by a train. And then sure enough, one of their friends gets hit by a train, you know. Good Lord. And then, <laughs> and then the other kid with the BB gun. I told you. Going to shred your eye out. You know, it's, it's, it's likely, you know, that. And so in this story by Ramu that I'm talking about, this old guy, he's sitting there telling stories about when he was younger and up in the Alps. And one day they found the body of his friend's father. And when they go look at the body, his friend is older than his father because the glacier has, you know, oh. melted away wow, and the body has been cool. perfectly preserved. Whoa. I like that. So, yeah. I mean, this is the centerpiece of the story I translated and got published. And then a few years later, my wife and I are watching a video of a movie. And there's this story that's being recounted by one of the characters in the story and my wife and I are watching the movie starts talking about this guy who's skiing in the Alps and as he's skiing in the Alps on this glacier he comes to the end of it and he sees something lying at the end of the glacier and as he goes up to look at this body that's lying at the end of the glacier he realizes that it's his father and as he stands there and looks at his father it's clear that his father is younger than he is and it's almost as if wait a minute i just heard this story father yeah and it's in a movie and i can tell you the name of the movie but um i'm not sure we want to do it because the screenplay is by a relatively famous writer who's also a translator from french and so i know the story you know, well name it what, what are they going to do to us what, what are they going to take away our it, it, if you want to sit down and watch a movie the movie is smoke and the story oh, that's recounted is yeah, and the and the story that's recounted is William Hurt recounts that story in the movie. Wow! And, oh, uh, that's where I heard it. Right. Exactly. Residuals, bud. That's what they do. And so you know, I also <laughs> that you know whoever wrote the screenplay, I don't know who it was. Paul Oster. They Some didn't guy. 
get that story from my translation. But one of the things that made me wonder about is how many things appear in writing that are stolen that nobody knows about because they were found in another language, not translated, and then poached and then put into a story in, you know, for instance, English. I mean, we all know Chaucer did that. Chaucer did it all the time. And know. Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare yeah. for that matter, too. But one of the things, and I'll, I'll backtrack here a little bit, one of the things I discovered is this is kind of an iconic story in the Alps because you know about a dozen years ago they found the, the man in a glacier from about 7,000 years ago in the Alps yeah. in Italy. Just, Do you guys remember I that? I saw that, yeah. And he looked younger, you... he looked younger than his great-great-great-great-grandson. Yeah. <laughs> and they woke him up and he's like, hey, do you got a Bud Light? Where's my cell phone? <laughs> you know, dilly dilly. The interesting thing is, the interesting thing is, is he and was he probably younger Facebook. than us when he died, but he looks a lot older than we do. But well, anyway. 7,000 years in a glacier will do it to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and evidently he pissed somebody off because somebody murdered him. Um, you know, you know what? I'm going to barge in here. I, I see like there's a, a wider point emerging here. And that is that, you know, we have this old idea of copyright that you, the solitary mm -hmm. artist, sit and create this thing and you, you own it. And there's a right. new type of copyright called Creative Commons, which, right. which uh, you can opt for when you create something. And what it's kind of recognizing is that, you know, we don't all write in a vacuum. We're all influenced by each other, that there's a kind of a collective consciousness in the arts that we are all sort of particular instances of, but still connected to each other. Yeah. Yeah, you have these like urban myths that, that float mm -hmm. around, these stories, these archetypes that, that we keep plugging back into. I mean, we could, we could do a whole other show about, you know, archetypical stories and how they're incarnated in different specific situations. Right. We should. Yeah, we should. That'd be a good, that'd be a good that'd idea. Be a great, that'd be a great idea. So, so you know, you know who we haven't really heard from yet is Mike, because I want to know. I want to know, that Mike. Have you up. ever? Have you ever been plagiarized? <laughs> <laughs> have you? Yeah. Would ever? Would anybody ever plagiarize your? Oh, that's a terrible way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I think being plagiarized is kind of a badge of honor. You know, it's like there's the rub. I'm yeah, telling you. it's like I did have some work plagiarized. Uh, uh, some a uh, popular mechanics or article that i wrote a while ago but and that was bad you know the guy took the whole thing and put it on his website and the popular mechanics had a lawyer and everything but you know what that was my writing you know that was fine but when i was uh before i met my wife i was on i was doing some online dating i was on plentyoffish.com here and i was living in oshkosh wisconsin at the time yeah 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 so there was there was match.com you had to pay a monthly of... fee and plenty of fish was free, so I was on the free. Yeah, yeah. Of course it was. Of course it was. Bulletin board. Bulletin board. It's at the library. It's at the library. It's a great idea. You should try it. There's plenty of fish in this. So I had this picture, you know, this profile picture, which I took when I when I went down to see Marcello. Oh yeah, Olga. I went underneath this pier, you know, where all the hot chicks get their pictures taken. And then it was me standing there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, a Scandinavian in Brazil. Scandinavian in Brazil, you know, the, the classic. So that was my picture. And that was my profile picture. 
so so like you know i i start hearing i i try to talk to women online and they're like man you're an asshole I, i'm you know you've been an asshole before they're like what you know show me my my uh profile and it turned out that some guy in nina wisconsin had taken my picture and used it as his own profile picture I guess you should be flattered, right? Something, you know, like you know, like this is like taking Gimli from Lord of the Rings. You know, like man, what are you fucking thinking? So you can you can take all my writing, I don't care, but you know, that taking my picture, Jesus. Yeah, I remember I had to explain to people like we'd go to that other that other site. I'd say, you know, the the reason that guy's not me is that he can't use a semicolon correctly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. The semicolon is fucked up. That's right. Yeah, it's it's it apostrophe s. It's its apostrophe. That's the worst. And I have never met a writer who would ever take something from anybody else. I mean, intentionally. Like, we all oh, why would you? things. And, you know, like, we read a great book. I want to write like that person. To listen to great music. We want to play like that. Right. We see art. You know, like, we... I mean, I, I think the human being is wired to do that. But when it comes to taking something directly, like, word for word, like, taking the whole thing, like, yeah. like, like a, a real, real artist, a real writer would never do that just on account of, on account of confidence. On a, like, man, I, I don't... Oh, my ego's want, too big. Yeah, man, I want to do it myself. Jesus, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, why, why? I'm not in this thing to have somebody else do it. What do they get out of me? Yeah, I mean, what am I going to yeah, get? Exactly. I'm, I'm going to get two contributor copies from a small literary journal that I've never heard of, you know? Mm. For staying, you know, like, fuck. Yeah. Somebody will click like on my Facebook post after I stole your shit. Speaking of which, somebody just... uh Oh, look at that. They posted a like on one of my Facebook posts. So I'm going to Oh my god. I'm, I'm going to have to go over there now and deal with it. <laughs> I got so oh, I feel like reduced. game here is sort of winding down, but I've got game been, on Facebook. You've been reduced uh, to 25 friends, you know, so. Yeah, well, they're they're quality friends. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, the, the plagiarism thing, maybe we, maybe we should all be flattered rather yeah. than angry. Yeah. I, I got to tell you one, one last story before we go, because I, I know our time's running short. It was last summer. We were all here at my house, and we went over to a BP near here. Mm-hmm. And Jim was asking the management about what the best minnows were for the lake or something like that. And Marcello won 30 bucks. That's right. He won 30 stuff. bucks on a scratcher. Yeah. 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 So, so this is a true story. So Saturday night, 1.30 in the morning, this guy drove his pickup truck, through the front door of the place. Wow. You know, crashed the glass they open? and everything. Yeah, it, the place was closed. He crashed in there, got out of his pickup truck, walked over to the beer case, grabbed the 12-pack of Bud Light, <laughs> got back in his truck, and drove off. <laughs> they got it on security. I don't know if they caught him yet, I'm assuming, you know? Like, wow, now yeah. that is some freaking serious uh, plagiarism right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to have 12 facts. Yeah, uh, well, you know, isn't, isn't he imitating a movie when he does that? <laughs> you know? Something that, that. Like, oh, that would only happen in a movie. You must have seen it. Somewhere. So so when so my question is, when is plagiarism art? 
<laughs> so long as nobody knows. I'll, I'll tell you what. And, no, uh, Ezra Pound. Ezra Pound pulled that shit off. Is the first. It's canto number one. Yeah, that's true. He found he found the translation of story story of Odysseus, and ripped yeah. off was Andre Andre Divas. Yeah. But originally written in one language, and he translated to another language. He never claimed. He never said who it was. It's poetry. He ripped Turn. off uh, the. the <laughs> he ripped off. He, uh, no, what he did was Scrooge McDuck too. You know. No. <laughs> Rick ripped off Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> no, no, the guy. The guy. The guy who. We had so much. I'm glad that you got that image, Bob. I've heard him read. That's the name of the comes to mind. Which was an important part of my upbringing. Yes. <laughs> Busted. Man, I got to I got to tell you, we're we're about at the end here. Any last yeah, thoughts yeah. anybody? Uh quick. I I I only could steal some, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have no thoughts so, of my own left. <laughs> um yes, I'm lost for words. Okay. Well, so let's let's cue the theme music and call it a night. This is Rick Crisman on behalf of Jim Frank, Marcello Vasquez, Mike Magnuson, and Bob Clark. Wishing you a happy rest of your day and happy writing. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. That, that last one I wrote, the one about the test worked my ass off on it. Originally wrote it, it was like 350 pages. I realized it was a piece of shit. Threw the whole fucking thing away and started from scratch. Ended up with about 300 pages on it. And um, I, was, I, you know, I was happy with it, but I realized I was coming at it the entire time from a distance. There was this distance between myself and the and the characters I was I was writing about. But when I write about stuff about Vietnam, it's just it's it's a lived experience. There's no distance there. Even the years, it's fifty fucking years now. This this year, fifty fucking years, and it's still the distance is not there. You can you can just feel it the emotions are there and when you're trying to write something and you don't have that emotion you know what i'm saying you're writing fiction and that emotion isn't there because you're really doing this from a distance with these characters you know you feel no attachment to them Try it oh, yeah. and you can write characters that way but i think the reader picks up on it so this guy really doesn't give a fat fuck about these people and you can't get the reader to care about them yeah. if, if, if they says the author doesn't give a shit. right i don't know thanks for listening <laughs>